Hi, friends. Before I jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, welcome to summer break for all of my North American principal friends who are on a traditional schedule. For those of you that are on the other side of the globe or maybe in a year-long school situation, or maybe you're doing summer school virtually or in whatever hybrid experiences that you have, welcome to summer anyway, because I know that summer is always different than the rest of the year. Number two, I I wanted to, to give you a heads up because this past year, I offered some things that were new to Principal Matters listeners that I'm going to continue offering going into the summer and into next year. And that included Masterminds, and executive coaching. And this past year, I've had the opportunity to connect with listeners in new ways, either one-on-one in executive coaching or in small groups through masterminds where we center around content, shared book studies, feedback, reflections, and hot seat opportunities to share the most challenging situations that you're facing so that together we're discovering solutions. If that sounds interesting to you and you'd like to explore some of the options that I'll have ready going into this, the end of summer and into next year, then reach out. You can email me at will at williamdparker.com. And in the subject line, you can put executive coaching or mastermind, or you can go to my website at williamdparker.com and just look at the links for executive coaching and mastermind. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with our co-host Jen Schwanke, who's back in the house. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 200. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to be talking about looking back on distance learning with my guest and co-host, Jen Schwanke. Jen Schwanke is the principal of Indian Run Elementary and the author of two books, You're the Principal Now What? and The Principal Reboot, Eight Ways to Revitalize Your School Leadership. Jen Schwanke, welcome back to Principal Matters. It's so great to see you. And I'm just curious if you've had a chance to have any fun yet, because I know that (laughs) the last time we talked, you were still closing school. I have. You know, fun looks and sounds different these days, and that's perfectly okay. The the fun is not going to the pool or going to the zoo necessarily, but it is um, slowing down a little bit and having the time to think and reflect. And And I think that's what we're going to talk about today. What What happened this past spring, what worked, what didn't work. And it's been actually a lot of fun to take the time to think more clearly about that. Well, as I look at the conversations that I've had with principals, and I know from following you, um, that you have been busy closing out school and also connecting with leaders in your own state and across the nation. We get to talk about the dust settling and what's happening, but I, I'm really excited to bring you back on the show today just to catch up and, and first of all, talk about ways that as you finish schools, ways that you saw distance learning working, quote unquote, but then ways that you realize things weren't working. And so I, I just really, I kind of see this as a debrief. So let's, right. let's just go there for a few minutes. Jen, what, what were some things that you felt like worked and as a leader felt like didn't work? What's been really interesting about this is the national conversation really does reflect the conversation happening in my community and in my school and in my heart as well. I think there were things that did go well, and there are things that will be changed foundationally after what we've been through. Some things we did very well, and we'll never look back to the old way again. But there were also some things that I think it's pretty universally agreed were not 
were not effective. And there are things that it's, it's no one's fault. No one could have done anything differently. But I think the thing that we missed was this, you know, the, the connection to human beings, the looking at somebody in the eye, the shared smile. And that manifested itself with, in ways such as not having a traditional graduation or not giving a kid a hug or, or not being able to grab someone's hand and, and clench and say, it's going to be okay. You know, those, those pieces we missed, but there were some things that went well too. And, and I'm sure in your work around the, this, your state and the country, you've seen the same thing. You know, it's certainly, not, it wasn't all a failure at all. <laughs> no. And when, when I think about those things that you just mentioned, which are, you know, being able to be together, being able to interact, all those relationships, traditional graduations, those are milestones. And, you know, spring is the, you know, the epic time for milestones, you know, spring trips and school activities and wrapping up the years and parent meetings and for high schools, award ceremonies and graduations. And so all of those amazing milestone moments were lost in so many ways. Um, And then at the same time, I saw people being, principals especially, being so creative and innovative and trying to stay connected with with students. I had the privilege of interviewing Oklahoma's Teacher of the Year, 2020 Teacher of the Year, several weeks ago. And Jen, every single day, she's a middle school teacher, language arts teacher, and every single day when she Zoomed with her students, she had a surprise guest on her show which was herself dressed up as a character that they were studying from one of their stories or books or, or readings. And so I just asked her, you know, how in the world did you pull off, you know, several weeks of every single day <laughs> doing that? And she said, well, will it match me? Because that's just who I am as a teacher anyway. But two, I just tried to think outside the box, you know, what's the most innovative way that I can stay connected with students. But I know that wasn't the story for everyone. There are a lot of people that felt like, especially at the secondary level, I heard a lot of feedback that disincentivizing credits because so many states, including ours, uh, said that that we should not allow distance learning to cause the students' grades to drop. And I completely agree with that because we're managing a global pandemic. But I also know from talking to principals that a lot of their high-achieving students just went off the grid. Uh, because they knew that there was nothing that they were going to do that was going to affect their grades either. So those are just some of the things that I that I have thought about with what's working and not working. Right. And I think that the credits issue is a big is a big problem and it's related to so many things, to motivation, of course, but also to getting into college or finishing school with a certain GPA and what the parents think. It it instantly quadruples the stakeholders when you're starting to talk about grades and credit. One thing that I found very helpful, Will, to organize my own thoughts is I sat down and I made a two-column list and I I titled one column what we lost, and I titled the other column, What We Gained. And in my lost column are some of the things I mentioned earlier, you know, graduation, the parties, that student connection, in-person communication, and that sense of unity. But I also focused on what we gained. And I found a lot of uh, comfort that there were some things gained. So for me, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, I felt like I got a chance to have a whole different job for four months. Well, four mm-hmm. months in counting because it's going to apparently keep going for a while. A definite reprieve from things that get me down. And I'm going to lump discipline in there. I'm going to lump in, you know, the, a, a parent marching in the office that wanted to see me right away. That went away because now any kind of conflict or um, high emotion, everybody had a minute to, to think it through. 
And I also saw in myself and in our community such a sense of what really matters, an increase in gratitude that I think only a global pandemic could bring. I don't think, even my 13-year-old son said, I'll never complain about school again, mom. And I think there's a lot of parents who feel that and teachers too. You know, a lot of our teachers really reinforce within themselves that they are person-to-person people. And that's not true with everyone, of course. There were some teachers who said, can we please do this always for the rest of my career? And, And then the other thing that I gained personally, and I think so many other people did, was a new way to look at opportunity. I think of John F. Kennedy's quote, he said about the Chinese using two brushstrokes to use the word crisis. Uh, You can Google this. It's really fascinating. One brushstroke stands for danger and the other stands for opportunity. And so we had to, this, this was a whole new level of danger. We had to really literally think about health and wellness and, and if we were doing it right and keeping people healthy, but boy, was there opportunity there. And I've got a lot of different, you know, sub-conversations we could have with that. But I think it's really important if principals or leaders take some time and in that right-hand column, what did we gain? What what came out of this opportunity? Yes, uh, that's so good, Jen. And I, I've also heard other leaders say that this is an opportunity for us to transform the way that we do school. And so, to, so the idea of going back to normal really would be unacceptable. So, you know, so what what will normal look like moving forward? Um, hopefully will actually be better if we've been able to create some new ways to connect, some new ways to deliver content, some new ways to do instruction. It doesn't replace the meaningful ways that we've interacted and done instruction in the past, but it might enhance it. And so for me, one of those is just the integration of technology in ways that I've never seen it before in schools. Because for years and years, I've I've longed for educators to figure out a better way to integrate technology in a way that's meaningful to instruction. And frankly, I've seen a lot of people resist, even though it's become more and more advanced and more and more accessible. And I was thinking even today, as you and I were logging into this meeting, that used to, you were one of my few friends who I could Zoom with because it was comfortable for us. And now everyone I know has, is Zooming, which means that just in the snap of a finger over several weeks in one time period, almost every educator I know now can access technology in ways that they couldn't before. And that really brought together our teaching tribe. I feel like sometimes, you know, not to overgeneralize, but sometimes younger teachers weren't as, as frightened of technology. Older teachers would say, well, I'm just not going to do that. Well, guess what, everybody? We had to, and we had about four days to do it. So it forced the things we have been lamenting for, you know, several decades, really. And there was no way out. So teachers who were earning a paycheck had to figure out Screencastify, had to figure out Google, had to quickly set up systems and protocols that could be accessible and manageable for students who maybe didn't speak English, who had reading difficulties, parents who maybe had never logged into a machine. And so we had to not only uh, learn and master technology, we had to be able to teach accessibility. And I found it a miracle how beautifully we pulled it off, even the most reluctant. And I'll include myself in there. I would stand up on my pulpit and preach the value of technology, but I didn't know how to make a screencastify. And then I had to learn. And it it was miraculous and so great to see. Yeah. And I was rejoicing in a lot of ways because of people that I wanted to stay connected with that I was able to, through technology, 
because right. all of us yeah. had to do that. So that's something that, that that I think leads into the next question, which is, you know, as we look at next year, and I know this is the golden question that I have every time I talk to a school leader, because all of us are still grappling with what it may look like. I feel like we're trying to create maps for places we still haven't gone. And so I'm just really curious, Jen, from your own experience, what are some of the ideas that you're thinking of as you step into next year where you might be able to carry over some of those practices to integrate with the ones that you had in the past while at the same time anticipating the possibilities of additional closures? Right. Well, that's a very deep and multi-layered question, mm-hmm. my friend. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've thought a lot about a principal's role as we move forward. And I think a lot of what we're going to do is going to be told to us. I really do. I think states are going to come up with guidance and protocol and we will follow them. At this point, um, and I stress at this point, a lot of the districts in my area are trying to think of their own plans, which I think is a, a little fruitless because I think it's going to be told to us. So with that said, I thought, what is my role then? And here's what I think it is. I think school leaders need to understand and value and accept all viewpoints. So we are going to have parents who feel like there is no way schools should be closed. And we're going to have parents that say, I am sending my kid no matter what all day long. <laughs> we're going to have teachers who, who don't can't come to work because of health issues. We're going to have teachers who want in today. And so there's it's important, I think, that school leaders don't take a stand at this point. Mm-hmm. We take the information that's given to us by people who understand the health and the science and the safety and the protocols, and we value the wide, wide spectrum of where people are going to be. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is we accept all viewpoints and we keep going back to what we need to do best. The biggest challenge for me, Will, mm-hmm. and I've asked this of my, some of my colleagues, who are we trying to please? If we're trying to answer to parents, that's going to be one whole set of reactions. If we're trying to do what's best for students, which of course that's our that's our mantra, that tends to be what we want to do, that's different sometimes than what the parents would want. If we're trying to do what our law says, sometimes our law is outdated now because, you know, for example, special education minutes there is sometimes that that is not going to be feasible. So all of these things are swirling around. And for many leaders, it's hard to figure out who we're answering to right now. And I don't have a clear answer. I think that's different in every community, every state, and and honestly changes federally too by the minute. Yeah. No, that's great feedback. And, you know, in our state, Jen, in Oklahoma, the State Department of Ed put out a re-entry guidance document a couple, uh, last week. and And it's helpful to give some ideas of what, may happen, but it, but it doesn't dictate what will happen, which I think is probably going to be the direction a lot of people go in terms of, you know, the unknowns yet, the numbers not known, the number of cases not known in your communities, not sure how many days you should close if there is a case. But, but some ideas that I think have been helpful as I've looked at conversations from state guidance and from other district leaders and from principals is, you know, some of the things that you just said. How do I step into this coming year trying to value all the points of the people whom I'm serving, which means that I may actually have to consider instructional options that are a menu approach, not just one approach. And so that menu might be that we have a traditional, let's say at the elementary level, in-class instruction with one teacher and a group of students with some kind of distancing or or cleaning protocols that that you have to follow or temperature-taking protocols that you have to follow as a school. And still, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. 
So all of us know that in reality, trying to implement those protocols will look different from place to place. But I do think parents need to know, you know, if there's a classroom instructional traditional approach available, this is what it will look like. If a parent or a community member is afraid to send their child to school, even though that there's not any known danger at the moment, you know, how can schools still provide some kind of other option for them, either virtually or online, that might give them the assurance that they can still receive some instruction without penalty. And I know that's going to look different from place to place, but one of the challenges I'm hearing from principals here is they don't want to lose their student population to parents who are afraid to bring their students back. So can we create some kind of online or some, could we have a secondary curriculum approach available for them if that's something that will give them peace of mind? And then a third option I'm hearing, and I've only heard this from one or two people, is some principals who are considering what they're calling flex labs, which are places within the schools set aside with computers and spacing for parents who, who they have to work, but they don't want their child in that traditional setting, but, and they don't want them sitting at home with no, you know, where they don't have care, but is there a place in the school where they could still be provided some online curriculum with, with supervision? So when I hear those kinds of conversations going in my head, the first thing I think is resources, personnel, space, you know, because the only way that any of that stuff's going to work is if it fits your puzzle because your school puzzle is going to look different than my school puzzle and a rural school puzzle is going to look different than an urban school puzzle and a suburban school puzzle. Even, even one suburban school from another suburban school is going to look completely different. So I just think that as hard as it's going to be to be patient, I can't imagine school leaders being able to completely anticipate what what this is going to look like. But but at least these are conversations I'm hearing them having of trying to at least anticipate some possible options. Yes, I think that the patience is what's going to be the foundation of all of this. And as school leaders, we are not inherently patient. We thrive on making decisions and having plans, but we've never had to plan for a year when we truly don't know what to to do, what to plan for. I'm going to share a moment of of learning for me. My district put out a survey to parents and privately, I grumbled a little because I thought we're here to serve kids, not parents. We have to think about students. Well, shame on me because the survey gave us some very rough, granted, very rough numbers. And at this point, between 10 and 15% of parents are saying, I'm not sending my child back. So to me, that does give you a little pebble to plan. You know, you can say, okay, if we have 10% of parents that are going to need a remote experience, let's see if that matches up with 10 to 15% of teachers who'd like to teach remotely. And what this really does, Will, is it, it kind of answers the school choice question. So instead of parents having to search for a school that will fit their needs, a school can now meet all those needs. And here's the, here's the secret. We have all the resources. We have the intelligence. We have the curriculum. We have the planning. We have the technology. It's just shifting it a little bit away from a traditional model. And to me, I look so forward to having a conversation with a parent when a parent says, you know, online learning worked for us and our family. I can say, great. Let's keep doing it. And even within a household, I've heard, you know, a a parent who had two children who hated online learning and wanted desperately to be back. And in the other bedroom, there was a child who loved it, was learning, growing, experimenting, innovating, and it worked. And so why can't we do both? And, And I think that answers the question that a lot of, and I'll just speak as a public 
school person, because you and I both are, you know, part of the tension that we felt with school choice is losing kids from our communities that we know we could still serve to options that parents maybe think are better options for them. And that's, you know, obviously, you and I've talked a lot about creating the kinds of environments where kids and teachers and parents will want to be. But in reality, if we lose student population, then we lose school funding, which means we don't get to have the same number of supports and teachers and people within our buildings that we do. And so, and so in this competitive world of, of educational choice, it would really be a travesty if schools don't look at this as an opportunity right. to provide some options that they've never provided before. And I and, think that's a yeah. risk, Will. I think some districts are going to say, no, let's just wait for a vaccine and we'll get back to normal. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a lost opportunity. I think school leaders should say, I'm going to ride this wave. It's going to, it is going to crest and it's going to come back down, but how can we be better in the end? Mm-hmm. And then how can we guide placement with parents? Not just simply open it up and you just choose what you want, but then how can we guide that placement in a way so that we find the best fit for those kids? And yeah, that's a lot of work on the front end, but so is scheduling. So is master scheduling. So is assigning teachers to us to their responsibility areas. And so I'm just kind of anticipating a lot of that work that we do on the front end with our master schedules and student placements and assigning teachers to certain roles. A lot of that's going to be built around the needs that we're identifying with parents and kids in determining what placement fits them best. And so I, I don't like to overthink that because it makes me tired, you know, to, think, to go into summer thinking about all that, the work that that would create. But I do think that that mindset is helpful for your teachers and your parents and your students to, to identify that you're going to try to find the best placement for them. And you know what else is a lot of work is a student who is poorly placed in a traditional classroom for years and years and years and years. It breaks my heart when I'll hear a parent say, oh, we just have to get through middle school or if we can just get to graduation. School shouldn't be like that. Mm -hmm. This is such a golden opportunity to rethink how it can look. And I know that there's a lot of traditionalists out there who think that there's a lot of learning if a child needs to get on the bus and go to school and sit there and by golly, do what he's supposed to do and they come home and do it again. But I I question that somewhat, especially in a world where I've always felt there's a place for everyone and there's a job for everyone and there's a role for everyone. And this is just forcing schools to kind of put their money where their mouth is with that and, and make it a very fluid and flexible process. And yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of work to have a kid in your, in your office every single day because of a behavior problem, because he's miserable. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, as you, Principal Matters listeners, as you think about your year that you just finished, and as you're thinking about stepping into next year, I just want to encourage you to to practice Jen's exercise. What what did you lose, and what did you gain? I think that Jen, that's such a great exercise in identifying and reflecting on the things that that we miss about school that we're anticipating getting back, that we're excited to visit, and then the things that we've gained in this process that could actually help us enhance a better learning opportunity for students, even if there's not a global pandemic happening, what ways can we still continue to serve them? And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, Jen, who um, I won't name her because I don't have permission, but she was sitting in a district meeting and listening to all the feedback and listening to the possible things that were going to be happening. And she said, well, I finally just decided to stop speaking because I know that I need some time between what just happened and what's going to happen to reflect. So probably about mid-July, I'm going to be starting to make some really strong decisions. But until then, I'm going to be gathering information. I'm going to be digesting it. I'm going to be reflecting on it. I'm going to be chewing on these things because as we get a little closer to school, 
you and I both know is things have changed so fast every single week since these closures began, both with the pandemic and even with things that have been happening nationally beyond that. And we can talk about that later. But uh, I think it's wise for principals too to take good mental notes, to open conversations for things that you want to do, but not to feel rushed to make final decisions. Because I think that the menus that they're going to be providing should be guidelines, uh, but don't necessarily mean that they've got everything figured out. So I just want to encourage Principal Matters listeners, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're like, man, I feel so far behind, or I still don't feel like I completely grasp what's going to happen. Well, welcome to the team. Uh, Nobody really completely grasps what's going to happen. And even when you come up with some ideas of possibilities and menus and hybrid approaches, uh, that doesn't mean anybody's figured this out. But I do think that um, these conversations are helpful. You know what I think we should rely on too is anybody who's new to our profession probably has a lot to give right now. My um, assistant principal, she's a brilliant and very talented woman. She just got a job as a principal. And I told her, I envy you in some ways because in your new building, you haven't yet thought, well, we always have lunch between 1145 and 115. And we always have 45 minutes. But she can start with her mind clean. And so in some ways, I think as building principals, we should wipe away all the mess and start with a proverbial clean slate and say, everything might look different. Let's pretend it's our first year and we have, we can make decisions that aren't going to upset anybody because they've been done for 10 years. You know, we can, we can move on with a fresh slate. The challenge I've given myself and principal matters listeners might find this beneficial. The first few meetings my district had about moving forward, we, you know, lots of ideas just thrown out there. And I, I was so embarrassed to hear myself saying, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but, and I thought I need to stop saying, yeah, but because what I'm saying there is, well, that can't work shutting it down. And I thought I have to stop saying that phrase. I have to listen. I have to say, yeah, period. That's it. Not try to contradict or say, yeah, but that won't work. Yeah. But we can't take everyone's temperature. Yeah. But we can't keep them. So I have to stop with the yeah, but and go with, yeah, because every idea is a good one at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, Jen, what a great way to wrap up this episode with that reminder that even as we're facing recommendations or guidance where we want to say, yeah, but a lot, whether that's with buses or classrooms or distancing or temperature checking or mask wearing or whatever, to change the response to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I let's <laughs> let's consider that option. Let's consider it because it may be one that we're that we're going to be doing, but we we can find a way. We can still find a way. I laugh because kids. March sixteenth, somebody said we might close down and not come back, and I said, "Well, yeah, but that's not possible." <laughs> well, guess what? Joke's on me. So saying yeah, but might be a big pie in the face. Just say yeah and move on from there. Well, Jen, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. And Principal Matters listeners, I know that as you are stepping into summer and as you're reflecting on your own experiences, or maybe you are a new leader that's getting ready to step into school leadership for the first time, and you might be thinking about, wow, this is going to be a a completely different map than I thought I was going to have in my first year. You are not alone. Uh, We are in this together. And if you have questions or feedback that you'd like to reach out to, to either Jen or me, feel free to reach out to the email that we have connected to the show at will at williamdparker.com. And uh, we will be happy to answer your questions and reconnect with you. And until next time, thank you so much for doing what matters. Thanks everyone. Take care. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.